Just really quick, I wanted to remind you all that the Games and Online Harassment Hotline is here for you, for your friends and your colleagues. We provide emotional support to folks who make or play games, which is such a broad range of people. So, you know, you might not need it today, but maybe you need it tomorrow. So we just want you to know about it. You can learn more at gameshotline.org. I am the one who knocks. Like, we don't hear that and go, holy shit, like, he's really, like, lost his humanity. This is awful. We, and by we, I mean collectively, like, we as a society hear that or see that and go, fuck yeah. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio, the hype machine. (laughs) That's our new slogan. (laughs) That's that's it. yeah, that's it. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love or the media you hate or the media you feel neutral about. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I am joined today by two women who believe Goodfellas is a scathing indictment of toxic masculinity. Carolyn Pettit. Hey, hey. And Ebony Adams. What's up? I, I don't, is that true? I don't think that's true. I think that's a joke. It's a, it's what, a joke. About Goodfellas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, I've never seen it, Goodfellas, but I think oh, that's a joke. Anita, you're messing up the hype <laughs> machine stuff. I, I mean, oh, that, that, I, so I wrote that, like, that's one of those, I, I intended as a joke, but after writing it or hearing it, I'm like, well, a lot of people, like, part of what we're talking about today is how a lot of people would actually think that it's totally. true. So, yeah. I figured, I yes. just was like, I've never seen this movie. I think that this is a joke. Anyways. Yeah. As you probably have not guessed yet, this week we are <laughs> having a special topic episode, um, which means we're going to be talking about left reading, which is a tendency for folks on the left to ascribe progressive values to media we like that may not actually be progressive at all. Hello, friends. Hey. What's up? I saw Ebony in Meat Space yesterday. She wow. did indeed. It was what? me. It was me. It was not my avatar. It was not my clone. Oh. It was not a simulacrum. It was me in the F-L-E-S-H. F-L-E-S-H. Flesh. Correct. <laughs> that correct, Anita. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, good. I can I can do it. I know how to spell. Um I um that was nice. I enjoyed that. But um yeah, it really was. So last week we talked a lot about how the world is bad and we got feedback from folks who like really appreciated that. Um, And I just thank you for sending your feedback and your thoughts about it. Um, And, you know, I I just want to say, too, that like shit's really bad. And like I'm struggling a little bit with like when I'm when I'm like, you know, I have ebbs and flows of being depressed. And when I'm not depressed I'm like, do I engage with the world? Because I don't like because I'm kind of like, it's rare that I feel okay right now. And I was just listening to the news this morning was like, fuck, like, it's just it's so much like it's so, so much all the time. And um, it's just horrifying about like. I don't know, just the, the, the police murdering black and brown folks just over and over constantly like it's just it's never fucking ending. And it's so hard to. Yeah. Deal and with then the fact that we haven't like end like why why do we still have police? Like can we just like get what you know, like and I just yeah. think about like there's literally one of the biggest trials happening about this topic right now while you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Like it just the mm-hmm. the cops, the police force are not reflecting on their behavior in any way or being more cautious, even out of like self preservation. You know? I just yeah. 
but there's no need for them to. No, I mean no, every yeah. the evidence <laughs> you know is there. There's there's so little. Um, there's so little will um, to to change things to like radically change the way that our society operates. We keep getting like spit in the face by these people and um, they just expect us to ask us for more because nothing will ever change. And if anything does change, it'll be some like mealy mouth, you know, police reforms, which just ultimately translate into more dollars for these militarized occupying forces. One of the police reforms was um, um, like, oh, fuck, what do they call them? The camp, the cameras they wear on their Mm -hmm. um, body cams. Body camps. Thank you. That was a that was a reform. Yeah. Like that was literally made to try and prevent the or like to to hold accountability. But what is that fucking done? <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. nothing. It's done nothing. It's just given us more like footage of the horrific violence as opposed to it like deterring or holding people accountable or what have you. Yeah. So fucking y'all, if you aren't on the abolition train, like get on it. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just you know, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, we're we're gonna now talk about something totally different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are we though? Yeah. Are we though? I you mean, know, not. like, there's no way you're gonna have um a topic like this in which I'm not going to bring up state violence <laughs> and the cops. So <laughs> will we be talking true. about something else? No, not if Ebony's in the chair and there's breath left in her body to talk about copaganda. That is true. Well, I am excited. Carolyn, no. um, you proposed this idea. Yeah, because uh, you're topic, a genius. Which I'm, sorry, what? Because she's a genius. She <laughs> is. She's wonderful. It's a really, really good topic, and I'm excited that you um, that you suggested it. Yeah. So why don't you get us started? Sure. Uh, let me start with a little story. Um, about nine years ago, a video game was released called Hotline Miami. Oh, boy. Fucking I, hell. <laughs> I loved it. This game. And even if you ask me today, I will still say that its combination of druggy, neon tinged aesthetics and twitchy gameplay set to an incredible electronica soundtrack can create an almost overwhelming sensory experience that's like very little else out there. The game is also incredibly violent, like ultra violent, hyper violent. But around the time of its release, I remember people saying things like this. After you finish each level, the music stops and you have to walk back to your car through all the carnage that you have caused. These are sobering moments that make you reflect on what you have done. And, you know, because I liked the game and I didn't want to feel weird about liking the game, I sort of bought into this for a little while. I was like, yeah, that's that's totally a thing that happens. But at a certain point, it was made clear to me that what I was doing was left reading the game. By that, I mean that I was ascribing values to the game that aren't actually part of its cultural impact or influence. 99.9% of Hotline Miami players were not pausing after each level to feel deep feelings and to think, wow, oh man, what I just did was really fucked up. This is this is seriously making me reflect on depictions of violence and how violence functions in our culture. For most players, it was an experience of, whoa, that was totally awesome. Let's fucking keep doing it. For most players, Hotline Miami is just another drop in the bucket of media that totally normalizes and glorifies brutal violence. 
And personally, I think very often those of us on the left ascribe progressive values to art that we like because we like it and we want it to be in line with our values. I think this happens a great deal with Breaking Bad. I think it happens with some of Scorsese's films like Goodfellas and The Wolf of Wall Street. And the reason I wanted us to do this topic now is because I recently watched the first two seasons of Succession on HBO. And clearly for anyone who has watched Succession, the Roy family are in many ways supposed to be despicable. We are not meant to like them or admire them at all times and in all ways. And yet, watching it, I'm not convinced it's possible for us as viewers to not be seduced somewhat by them as well, by their lifestyle and their personalities. I mean, can you really have a truly anti-capitalist show, a billionaires should not exist show that focuses on the lives and lifestyle of an outrageously wealthy family? I'm not sure. So for me, the issue of left reading brings up so many interesting questions about how we relate to art, about where the line is between our personal experience of something and its actual cultural impact, and about what the responsibility of art is in this regard and what role media literacy has to play in all this. So let's kick off this discussion with uh, Ebony. You have certain works that I think are interesting and that you enjoy on some level. And, you know, maybe you question whether you ascribe values to them that they don't actually have, or you want to make a case for, for whether they actually can function as, um, as, as critical or, or, or not. Let's, let's, let's see, you know, what do you got? Well, the, the stuff that I want to talk about um, is the two Equalizer films with Denzel Washington. So I'm, I'm not specifically talking about the TV show, the original TV show, um, or the new one with Queen Latifah. But I think, you know, my essential point will stand um, about the franchise as a whole. So I just recently watched both of these films. <laughs> I've talked before on the podcast about how I love action grandpa movies, but I should be completely clear. I rarely watch them all the way through. I just love that they exist because the idea to me of like a, uh, the, like a waning kind of hyper masculine figure refusing to seed, um, like, his place on the the social stage is hilarious to me. So as much as I enjoy like the Mission Impossible films, for instance, mm -hmm. the fact that Tom Cruise is still out there like <laughs> doing his own stunts, running his ass off, you know, and fighting these much younger people, just it makes me fall over in laughter. So that's that the genre appeals to me, whether it's, you know, Liam Neeson and Taken, whether it's, you know, Denzel Washington. In, in the Equalizer films. But the thing that struck me as I was watching these films back to back, apart from the fact that the Equalizer 2 has my husband, Pedro Pascal, in it, um, mm. is that in this current moment that we are living in, there is something so appealing to many people about the figure of the lone wolf vigilante. Because we, it is, it is almost impossible not to... Um, to realize how deeply fucked up policing is in this country, the, the very structure of it, um, the, the resources invested within it, you know? And yet, as a people, as a society, we, so many of us are so attached to the notion of retribution, mm. vengeance, and punishment that if we do not have the police acting on our behalf, we demand a figure who will, you know, issue 
justice for us in our name. And so you have a figure like Robert McCall, played by Denzel Washington. Um, We rarely learn, like, you know, extensive parts of his backstory in these films, but you learn enough to know that he is former military, part of a, you know, uh, former member of an elite unit of people who essentially do the business of U.S. imperialism. He is no longer engaged in that work. He is retired. And in the first film, he is now working at a big box hardware store, like a Lowe's or a Home Depot. And he gets slowly drawn back in to, you know, <laughs> unleashing the pain on uh, on these, you know, horrible people um, who are taking advantage of people in his neighborhood, who have, you know, violently assaulted um, a young sex, work- sex worker played by Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, and it's so interesting to me that at the same time this film says because there are uh, there's an important moment in the first film wherein Robert McCall is taking on two corrupt cops right at the same time that this film says you know um, cops are often as much or more responsible for the violence and you know exploitation of people in their communities nevertheless the idea is or the 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 message is, and I believe, you know, um, McCall says this explicitly, like, you have betrayed the badge. You've betrayed what policing stands for. Mm. The very narrative structure of the film depends upon us understanding that things like the police are necessary because bad people need to be punished and they need to be punished in very violent ways. And so the problem is not that there shouldn't be police, that there shouldn't be people exploiting folks um, and not like should not have the resource to exploit people, but that these are two particular bad cops. Then the second film is even more interesting and that we learn more about uh, McCall's past um, in the military. And it turns out, spoiler alert, that the the folks responsible for the murder of his friend who is from the State Department um, and has taken out other extrajudicial assassinations is his former partner, played by my husband, Peter Pascal. And what's interesting is that in films like this, um, we are meant to understand that anything that the protagonist does, because he is a good man, is therefore rational, legitimate, and reasonable. Whereas anything done by the person coded as the villain is there encoded as unreasonable and excessive, right? But the film offers... There's a way in which the the film, again, like the first film with the police, depends upon like McCall's um, past in the military and the training that he that he achieved there um, and doesn't really question the fact that uh, the same things that Robert McCall does, he vilifies other people for doing, which is taking the law into their own hands and executing you know, just this incredibly violent vision of how a society should be. It's so fucked up, and yet it is incredibly appealing. And so I found myself watching The Equalizer 2, you know, as I was entertained by the film, looking for ways that it would rest easier with me as a viewer. 
given my stated politics towards like anti-imperialism, you know, anti-U.S. colonialist efforts, you know, anti-law enforcement, right? So I'm like, oh, well, the fact that um, Pedro Pascal's character gets to give this speech in which he says explicitly like, you know what, I'm doing the exact same things that I did for the government, but now I'm doing them for myself. And when Robert McCall says, yeah, but, you know, you were executing our enemies and Pedro Pascal says, who says they were my enemies? You know, like I didn't say that the government told me and it's all random and it changes all the time. Right. Just the fact that the film itself um, makes that statement is not enough to then affect the overall thrust of the narrative, which is that these forces are vital. The problem is just these, you know, three or four men who have taken advantage of the system and who are using their power for the wrong ends. And by the wrong ends, we say not, you know, um, adhering to the dictates of the state. It's fucked up. And so it's not so much that this is, you know, um, that there's a left reading for, uh, for this film is that films like this, like Mission Impossible, like films like The Born Identity, in which our protagonist is fighting against you know, um, the the unseen but overwhelming forces of like surveillance, of espionage, et cetera. The issue is never with that force itself. It's with the few bad actors. Right. I, I, and, and this I, is incredibly problematic. Yeah. And I think that gets at something, too, that like for me, when people will, will ask, like, well, you know, if you don't think, you know, Goodfellas, it, for, for instance, or if you don't think Breaking Bad is functions as a critique, like, wh like, why doesn't it, or what does a critique look like? What it comes back around to for me, or at least part of my, where I've sort of wound up, is that I think that if a work is going to actually, like, function as a, a, cr a critique, it has to show alternatives to, like, you know, brutal, vi you cannot use brutal violence as a way, as a means of, like, liberation, or a means away from, mm -hmm. like, brutal violence, because we live, we live in a society where you know patriarchal violence is already baseline like an accepted value and so what we need to you know if to truly create i think lib you know media that's transformative or liberatory is work that is that shows like true alternatives so right. you know breaking bad you know as i want to talk about briefly like is a show where people face tremendous moral consequences for their actions. Like people, like it is very clear that like awful, like, you know, like you can absolutely see, you know, Walter White paying a price, losing touch with himself, his own humanity, you know, uh, other people's lives being lost left and right by the hundreds, you know, it, and, but, you know, yet we as a society, because we have this baseline value of like, like admiring domination and violence, we fucking love it when he says, um, I am the one who knocks. Like we right. don't hear that and go, holy shit, like he's really like lost his humanity. This is awful. We, and by we, I mean collectively, like we as a society hear that or see that and go, fuck yeah, like that is awesome. Walt, you know, Heisenberg, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And so like, I think, and we remember the, those highs and that like, the thrill of like the badassery and the domination of, you know, our hero or anti-hero way more ultimately than, you know, we're, we're seduced by that to such a degree that, that any comeuppance or what have you that, that they ultimately face it, you know, 
pales in comparison to what we feel in the, in those moments. And that's not to say that I think uh, Breaking Bad is a bad show or what have you. Like, like, I don't. I think it's a good show. I just think when people talk about it as if it is this, like, this critique, this, you know, morality play that functions to really, like, show a man's, like, moral downfall or whatever and to really, like, make us reflect on that, I just don't think, and I think we may individually have that relationship to it and experience with it, but I, but collectively, culturally, it absolutely just does not function that way. Yeah, and it is important to note that, you know, simply changing the face or the complexion of the messenger does not then, you know, negate the force of the message itself. So if we're talking about cop shows or if we're talking about, you know, um, like assassins, you know, or whatever, simply making your lead character a woman or a person of color, mm. does that then make the show right. or the project, you know, radical or transformative in any way? Like, Black cops do nothing for me. Like, that doesn't change, you know, ultimately anything about what's going on. Mm -hmm. I want to bring in a, like, slightly different take on left reading mm. or just, like, to add to the conversation. Yeah, because I think that, uh, like, what y'all are talking about is super interesting, and I, I love to be a witness to that. Um, when I think of left reading, my mind goes to um, franchises like Star Wars and Harry Potter and even Lord of the Rings, mm. which are these big epic stories um, that have no real politics in them. Um, and you can debate me on th that with Lord of the Rings if you want, but I'll fight you on the other ones. Um, <laughs> but um, they are, they're like vessels for conflict as opposed to having a like real political position. So I, it's very easy for an audience. Like those, those tend to be very, very appealing to such broad audiences from many different backgrounds and many different political perspectives um, because th they're blank stories, ultimately. So, you know, we can read Star Wars as, you know, we are the rebels fighting against fascism, <clears throat> but the fascists can read it as they're the rebels fighting against, like, the indoctrination of, yeah. uh, you know, progressive politics right. or whatever. Cancel like, it's, culture. It, you can... Yeah, right. Like you know. it's it's the exact and Harry and Harry Potter is the exact same way. Mm. Um and like you I don't think you can have a franchise that's that huge like globally that isn't kind of generic. Because once you start making like actually making statements about politics and I mean that in a very broad way, like you're going to lose people and these are the types of franchises that don't want to lose anybody, right? That don't want to uh, that want to make sure that their their appeal is so broad. And, you know, like I'm I'm not just making this up. Like I have actually heard <laughs> stories from people who are like super like evangelical conservative Christians who are like Star Wars is the best. It, you know, like we are fighting to like, you know, protect Christianity and shit. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, you know, so, well, I think it's not so much that the the franchises or the stories within them um don't have politics within them, but rather that they don't, you know, espouse a viewpoint that can't be, you know, accepted by many different, you know, um, ideologies and adopted as their own. Because, I mean, you know, someone could argue that like Harry Potter, for instance, you know, um, the the world that it sets up absolutely demonstrates, you know, like a political mindset. I mean, you have like Hermione and the... Um, 
y'all, I only read like three or four of these books because I did not like them, but um, her trying to advocate for like freedom for the house elves, house goblins, house trolls. Yeah. Y'all don't do hit me up about, on like, Twitter, right? and stuff. For sure. For sure. But, but also but, like, but also, yeah. I mean, the stuff that like is explicitly in the text, like, like that, right? But then also the fact that the the larger world that J.K. Rowling set up with the different magic schools with like, you know, one school on the whole continent of Africa, like that is a that is a political choice that she has made. The the choice that she makes to have like um, who are like the like the magic cops? Yeah. Oh, the, the you know, ministry? like having. Yeah, yeah. You know, like having that. That is that is a political statement. The issue is that she doesn't sufficiently um, because I don't think this is something that she would be interested in. And fuck her also. Um, let me make sure I get that out. But I think like it, the whole point of it is that, you know, any reader can come to it and map their particular viewpoint right. onto it and their beliefs. Right. But I do it's, think, you know, like I just wanted to push back on there not being politics. I think yep. that it is, but it's just, it's so malleable as to be, you know, sand. Yeah. And I'm really glad you did bring that up because I think everything is political, but, but you're right. Like that, that clarification is super important. And I think, you know, like, yes, there are like her and Harry Potter specifically, right. There are these examples that we can point to, but like, I don't like, I'm going to make a statement that I might regret. I <laughs> Rob, whatever's coming next is going to be hot fire. Please. Keep well, it. I, I just think that most like regressive people who are like politically regressive, like they don't think of themselves that way. Or like a lot of people who are racist don't think of themselves as racist. Right. So like mm-hmm. that, it's really easy to be like, oh, yeah, it's bad that the they're um um against the muggles. I mean, sorry, that they're like racist against not racist, whatever the fuck it is. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, but they're like, oh, mudbloods, right? It's about like pure blood kind of blah, blah, blah. Like that's what the whole story is about. It's been a long time. Um, uh, I I think it's really easy to just like attach that to whatever you believe um, and not internalize any of the like, like that's the whole point that we're talking about with left reading, right? Like you can literally attach, um, you can attach your be- your beliefs right. to all of these stories because the yeah. stories are so vacant and hollow. Um, but yeah, and, yeah. You, yeah. and Ebony, you're totally mm-hmm. right. I just mm-hmm. said that very long roundabout way. Yeah, it, it, take as long as you need to tell me I'm right. <laughs> Ebony's often right, <laughs> but okay, except, when, except when Ebony's not right, she is and like crash and burn. When I'm like, when I'm not look, right, I really still swing for the stands, though, right? Ebony, so I mean, I give it my all. Ebony is often right when it comes to like politics and she's really good at explaining shit. She gives the worst advice. When it like, comes just the worst. Like, so don't ever ask Ebony for personal advice. Ever. That is true. That is true. Also, is so do true. not accept my love PowerPoints. If I'm like, hey, I'd like to put a PowerPoint together <laughs> of people I that you should date. in a while. Did you I know because I during COVID. You'd think I'd have more time, right? But I just have no heart in me. Anyways, yeah. back to the point. Carol, we interrupted back you. Back to the point. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, for me, I think I, I, as I, as I sort of said in the opening remarks, you know, I think left reading, you know, comes out some often anyway, will come out of a desire to, to, you know, we, we, as people on the left, we have very fiercely held beliefs. We believe that the world can be and should be better than what it is. We can see you know, we can see the transformative potential. We can see that things don't have to be the way they are, right? We can see that that everything is the result of like 
human created systems that are that are fundamentally unjust and oppressive and that that if we created those unjust systems we can create you know better more equitable fairer you know systems you know and and so when we when we really like something i i think you know there it's natural for us to want to believe that that film or that you know tv show or whatever it is is in its own way contributing to making the world a little bit closer to the world you know we want to live in um mm. but i think we you know i i think we just we well, we're ki- i think we're often kidding ourselves because we you know about about the mean that the, the mainstream media that we love is actually like doing that rather than just reinforcing the status the status quo which is usually is you know almost always kind of you know what what it's doing um yeah and there's so little like i mean this kind of reminds me of the conversations around representation too right like there was so little um historically representation of folks who aren't white especially mm-hmm. white men and um you know you latch on to stuff and you have to like do these internal like backflips to justify being a part of culture, right? Being a part of, of, of enjoying and, um, you know, yeah. Yeah. But it, but it is so interesting, right? I mean, one of the things that I, I do want to offer here is that we are not arguing for, um, the existence of like a homogenous audience right. reading of something. Right. It is absolutely possible for individuals to take different things from different media properties. And that's that's great. Absolutely. But, you know, A, we're talking about like collective response, mm-hmm. as as Caro is saying. Um, but also like how does this how does this exist? Where does it come from and how does it exist? Where is it situated within the corpus of all the other media properties yeah. who, you know, say similar things, right? So if you just, if you have um, an awesome show like Brian Fuller's Hannibal, the fact that Mess Mickelson is amazing and so charming and seductive as Hannibal Lecter does not take away from the fact that this is a brutal sociopath, you know, murdering people for our enjoyment on the screen, for instance, right? So, I mean, like, you can read all kinds of things into the relationship between Hannibal and Will, um, Will and Jack, whatever. Like, you can have amazing queer readings, you know, anti-racist readings of things, but it's like, but what does the, the project itself support? At the end of the day, what is it saying? Not just what you want it to say, right. not what you wish it had said, right. but what is it actually saying? Like, what is what is the infrastructure actually supporting? But having said that, I do think it's exciting when, you know, there's something that would seem to be on its face pretty mainstream, pretty, you know, white bread. And like, for whatever reason, like the queer community just embraces it or black Twitter just embraces it. Right. And identify something that it's, it's like they have, you know, they are living the death of the author in that moment. And they are trying to, <laughs> they are wresting yeah. power, you know, from potentially harmful, um, you know, representations. I mean, there. I want to allow for the possibility of that as oh, as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think that that's such an important point um, because um, we, we, and we've talked about this before, like, you know, I think it's really important to 
people to have their own personal experiences to art, right? That we all read different things. And like our podcast is a, we do this every week. Like each of us comes with different perspectives and experiences and reactions to uh, what we've just watched or played or what have you. Um, But I think that it's also really important that while we have that space for ourselves, we can still have a lens of like, what is the impact of this media on the mainstream, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you want to? Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I guess in my mind, I, I, what I've done, I've created, you know, and look, I don't want to, I'm a little wary of, of coming across like I'm uh, sitting in some ivory tower being judgmental of like the, the, you know, some sort of average viewer, because I'm not doing that. Like I'm actually, when I talk, think about left reading, I'm interrogating my own reactions as well. Like I have that part in me that, that sees, you know, again, sees like Walter White say, I'm the one who knocks and feels that like that thrill of like, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Like, I, so, um, I, you know, I think there's a danger of being like, well, you know, if only everyone were as smart as me and got that what this is actually doing. Like, no, it's, yeah. it's not that. But, um, but I do have like when I do have, idea of a viewer a sort of you know default white male let's say white male viewer who's kind of just you know at the cultural norm point going into a film and i guess one of my one of my questions is like when i ask myself is this film you know does this film really effectively come across as feminist or does it come across as as anti-racist is i ask myself would it make that viewer who harbors like, you know, misogynist tendencies or who harbors like, you know, deeply like racist ideology, would it make them uncomfortable at all? Like, would it in any way like push back against their worldview, like in a, in a way that they actually feel there in the audience as a viewer? And yeah, yeah. I'm going to take that a step lighter and say, uh, what I do, I'm like not to like. No, no. I I think about what the status quo is, right? right? So it's not even like uh, it's it's a little bit less specific than what you're talking about. Mm. Is how I think about it. Is like what is the status quo attitude um, in you know America today, for right. example. You know, it doesn't have to be America, but that's what I'm using right now. And like mm. that's a that's a little bit of a hard question to answer because of the like. <laughs> the quote, quote unquote culture wars, but there's a general idea, right? So let's say five years ago, um, if you were to interrogate or do a survey about people watching law and order, they're not the average quote unquote average viewer. The majority of the viewers are not going to talk about propaganda. They're not going to talk about um, the state always winning. They're not like, they're not going to talk about all the things that we talk about because that's not what like an average viewer like thinks about they're not they're not um um interacting with these kinds of ideas they're not being exposed to these kinds of ideas and so that's what i think about like we i love that we can all have our own personal takes on things but i think we also need to be and like the whole point of everything we're doing here is to like provide tools and context for to understand that like that the mainstream take on it as well so like while you might love something it can still be harmful or it can still have like harmful repercussions in terms of what it perpetuates socially. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, um, one thing that is helpful in these conversations though, is to remember that like when we talk about like the average audience, who are we talking about? Yeah. You know, because that's going to change 
from text to text. Well, and that's you know? why I don't like thinking about it as like the average. I, I sure. That's- I, I like thinking about it as what is the status quo attitudes. Mm. And so the audience member doesn't matter as much as what is the norms of the way that we talk about and think about uh, things, right? So like five years ago, we were not saying using the word white supremacy publicly. Like that was a thing activists were saying. And like, you know, you would get kind of like everyone would feel a little uncomfortable. Now it's like on the radio and everyone's talking about it, right? So the status quo has shifted. And that means that our interpretations and our what we're taking away from media is going to shift slightly. But but again, right, like when you talk about the the status quo versus, you know, different communities um, and you say things like, you know, uh, white supremacy wasn't a phrase that was that was typically used in the mainstream. And it's like, OK, but what mainstream are you talking about? Right. Because it absolutely is something used in like communities of color, like mainstream communities of color. You know, so I just want to suggest that like and, and I think mm. propaganda is this is a huge one because the ways in which crime procedurals, crime dramas, even crime sitcoms or police sitcoms like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like the way that it has taken ownership of our media, every network, every network, every streaming service, you know, um, it is it is amazing. It is frightening in a way. It, in many ways, it's frightening. But I think, you know, um, depending upon the project within that genre, again, audiences are so different. And you have to ask, like, what is being asked of this audience and what is being offered to this audience? Right. Because if there's anything, if there's any industry that is, you know, doing tons of research on like who is consuming their properties, it's media. You know, it is so money driven. You know, they that, you know, it's like if if women are watching our shows and they're between the ages of 18 and 34, then we want to find out precisely what they're watching and what they're responding to and give them more of that. Right. Um, and so it's interesting to think about, like, um, how different um, cultures and communities butt up against each other in their audience responses and how that then leads to perhaps like new versions of it, um, different iterations of it. Um, you know, I think about like you like science fiction TV, there's worlds different between something like um, Star Trek Discovery and, you know, um, I don't know, what's what's Seth MacFarlane's show? The Orville. Yeah, whatever. The doofus head. Um, like, you know? <laughs> but I would say are, that the audience, but even though the shows are different, I would say we can still apply uh, a status, like we can still say, what is the status quo of society and how does that apply to the jokes or the comments or the themes that are being shared? In those- yeah, absolutely. But I, I guess I would say that, you know, if, if there is, you know, some sort of cloud of, you know, beliefs within that status quo, depending upon who the audience is judged to be, different ones are going to be emphasized more than others. Um, Mm-hmm. Which I don't think any of us are, are arguing against that idea. I'm just wondering what that what that means for, you know, the potential to find those ruptures in certain texts that do allow for entry that is, you know, a contrary to perhaps the stated aim um, or the undergirding assumptions, you know, ways in which people like break in and take something apart and refashion it. Yeah. I'm just talking, y'all. Sorry, if anybody I, listen, no, I'm just, I'm just talking. 
I, it, that, this is one of the problems with having like really good conversations live is you can't take a minute to think about it. I'm like, you have to just immediately react. I'm like, I don't, yeah, I, don't you know. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> right. And if I was in the room with you, we could both take a sip of tea and, you know, yeah. just yeah, I'd be tilt like, our hmm. heads up. I know. That's really interesting. Right. And yeah. if I thought it was a particularly good <laughs> statement, I would just moonwalk out and drop the mic and be like, I'm out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel like I was a little bit... Um. Carolyn, when we were talking about doing this, I was a little bit like, oh, fuck, I don't know what I can bring to the table yeah. other than my dumb Star Wars story. And like, there's so much here. Man, like, I thought, what, like, I was, in, I w- oh, I'm sorry, Nate. I was, I, just, I was convinced you were going to talk about Ripley. I thought you were going to talk about uh, Fury Road. I was like, oh, I'm ready. I, but like, I, don't, in- I don't think that that's left reading. I think oh. that Fury Road is, and I made a note of, to remind me to bring this up, but I, I, don't, I don't think it was important, but now I'm doing it. Um, is that like there are texts that are clearly like meant to have progressive politics like Fury Road 100 percent does that. I think it fails at doing it. I think it's a shitty movie, but I but it we're not I don't think anyone's left reading onto it. I think that they are taking what the what was I don't know intended for lack of a better word like there's all this stuff around like we are not things they're trying to get women out of sexual slavery like that's in the text. It's right there. Um, I, I just think the movie sucks. So like, I think there's a difference between failing at, um, failing at being truly progressive or, or going the, the distance with what you're trying to say, uh, versus like it just being kind of generic and us either attaching to it or uh, like Ebony, what you were saying, which is a, a, a version of left reading I never thought about before this podcast was like what the, the, what we do to justify our watching of mm-hmm. troubling media. Mm-hmm. But feel free to disagree. I, I mean, obviously. No, I'm, now I'm t- taking a moment to think. Why Ripley? <clears throat> well, I just, in my mind, I was thinking about you and your work on, um, what oh, is like it? Strong, strong female, female characters. characters. Right, oh, exactly. Right. And so, you know, perhaps not spending so much time on aliens, but just like, okay, again, just making <laughs> the woman the dispenser of like a whirling dervish of murder energy doesn't make the murder any more justifiable, you know, like, you know, totally. Yeah. And I guess I don't, I guess I just have had a very narrow definition of left reading. This is like blowing my mind a little bit. Cause you're right. Like there is like, I, I don't know. I guess I think it's just different in terms of like, you know, you can. Yeah. Maybe you're right. <laughs> like, I'm just, I, I'm just a little bit like, yeah, you're right. Like, we do ascribe, like, again, this is outdated research, but we do ascribe, um, especially, like, feminists or or whatever, think that, like, these badass female chicks who are, like, violent and stoic and can do everything a male hero can, but in high heels are, like, the pinnacle of awesome, which is not, this is not a contemporary reading. I understand that. Um you know, I guess it is a little left reading to be like, that's progress and that's cool or whatever. Um, I, I just was thinking of it differently. That's all. Yeah, it's it's possible. I, you know, um, I mean, yeah, uh, my, my definition, the personal definition that I've worked with in my mind, you know, maybe um, not 
uh, the traditional definition. That's entirely possible I, as well. And there might not be yeah. a traditional right. definition. Right. right. That's, <laughs> and that's and, and also, like, don't <laughs> don't discount the um, the possibility that I just came at the topic with my own mm. patented ebony sideways reading that well, has nothing to do with the assignment. You spent so long talking about these movies. I was like, what is her point? I like, I didn't. And then at the end, you said it, and I was like, oh fuck, of course. Like that makes so much sense. That's how I get you, baby. Um, (laughs) Listen, I I would love to talk about Equalizer 2 with, I tell this, I tell y'all this every episode. Hit me up on Twitter. I would love to talk about Equalizer 2. Like there's a lot of shit going on in that movie that we need to talk about. The fact that they keep promoing Ta-Nehisi Coates' book as a prop in the film, you know, Between the World and Me. I was just like, okay, Antoine Fuqua has something to say. Somebody please hit me up. Yeah, I mean, I also, when you were talking, was thinking about, like, um, uh, what's the Keanu movie? J- John Wick, mm. right? Like, I was thinking about, mm-hmm. like, the like John Wick and also the um, the Fast and the Furious movies. Like, there, there, is, there is a space for those movies in this conversation a little bit, too. But I, but I also caution us to be like, well, just because problematic movies are popular doesn't mean that we're left reading them. It just means right. that we're, in, like, enjoying them for some reason despite the problems um yeah you know yeah i yeah i mean i do wonder about the i mean fast and the furious movies get which i have only ever seen one and i've seen you know probably the the one that you know if you're only going to see one is not the one you should see which is tokyo drift <laughs> oh uh, god uh, i don't know <laughs> but, but you know i mean like i'm fascinated by the conversation around those films because because people talk about them being like wholesome and being about family and all kinds of things and i'm like can they talk about them being wholesome. Yeah. There's nothing fucking wholesome about, well, no. <laughs> about this movie. I mean, the, they. Put, I get it though. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, so that's like, I, can these films about like, are, is there something destabilizing, you know, or challenging to like our limited notions of masculinity, you know, in mm-hmm. these films? Or uh, so, no, well, uh, but well. I. I, but one of the things about Fast and Furious that's so difficult to parse through is how important they are to communities of color. And how many people yeah. of color are in them. Mm-hmm. Um, like that and like how it, it you know, it, I don't, I think that there are articles that people have written about this because the franchise has been out forever. But that's what, but like there's no challenges to masculinity. It's just like full force toxic masculinity from top to bottom, right? And it's, and it's, it gets us in that like, I don't know, serotonin or whatever, where we're just like fast cars driving, vroom, vroom, punch the dude. Yeah, you can do this. You know, you're just this like, why it's like action movie bullshit anymore. that gets you sometimes, right? When it's done in a particular way. Mm. I'm a simple human woman, Anita. I think it's really unkind of you to quote back to me verbatim what I said when watching the last Fast <laughs> Furious movie, fast car, vroom, vroom. All right. Look, that was I, between you and me. I, I struggle with this endlessly like and I will never stop struggling with this you know like it's like when we were talking about um concrete cowboy like Idris Elba is hot as fuck like just super hot and you're like you are a stoic non-communicative um and this has nothing to do with with his character like Mm. it's just we have been conditioned to find certain things appealing and attractive and engaging Mm -hmm. from birth Mm-hmm. That are really fucking bad. And it's it's not something you can just let go of right away. And so I really struggle with that when I'm like attracted to a character. And I don't just mean like physically attracted. I mean like find appealing 
yeah. characters that I'm like, everything in my my analytical brain is telling me how bad this character, like how problematic this is for the world that this character is like being celebrated and revered and fetishized and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So that's my Oof. rant. That has nothing to do with left reading, I don't think. Sorry. <laughs> but I do. I think left reading, this topic is very related to like how we how we look at media and how we engage with media and what that means for us and what that means for like what we want from media too, you know, mm -hmm. which is probably a whole nother conversation. Yeah. All right. All right. How, how are you feeling about that, Carol? Yeah. Did I, we do it? I think we, I think we, you know, we did about as much as we can do in one podcast conversation. I'm, I'm, you know, pleased with, with the groundwork that we've laid down here today. And I look <laughs> uh, forward to Carolyn us continuing this in our next 10 episodes. In the, <laughs> in the script, Carolyn put a little bracket that says brilliant conversation ensues. So I asked, <laughs> was that brilliant enough for you, Carolyn? <laughs> It'll have to do. It'll have to okay. do. Fair. All right, y'all stay tuned. We'll be uh, back with some freakouts. Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you are, we would love you to support us to keep making it. You know, if you become one of our patrons, not only are you going to do that and allow us to keep making this every week, but also you get access to some perks like bonus episodes, uh, participate in polls to determine future episodes, access to our Discord server, which is only available to patrons, uh, and, you know, I don't know, other things. If you love us, help support us. You can do that at patreon.com slash femfreak. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Uh, am I the only one with a freak out? I uh, think so. Yeah, because my freak out right. would just be watching John Wick 2 again. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say about that. Mm -mm. I bet a lot of people do, but save it for the bonus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, you can if you want. Okay. No, I, I, um, I watched a movie last night called Shoplifters by Hirokazu Koreeda. Uh, it's a 2018 Japanese film, and I and between that and Home, I have now decided that my like favorite film wheelhouse is stunningly beautiful and off kilter. Like <laughs> that is how I'm now going to describe <laughs> my favorite films, because <laughs> this movie is so beautiful. Like and and not even in the way. It, it, not even in the way that you're like, oh, these sweeping landscapes and the da 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 da. Just like the shots are so fascinating and there's so much storytelling happening in them. Um, but the whole story just is a little off kilter in this way that like keeps you on, not on edge in a suspenseful way, but you're a little bit like, what's going on? Who are these people? Um, and it's just, it's so good. And so it's about a family. Um, you know, it opens with this beautiful sequence of this father and son who are like, have a whole rhythm to shoplifting. And it's just, like I immediately fell in love with the movie just like within <laughs> within the first five minutes of it. Um, but it really dives into um, like, you know, kind of what is family? How does family survive? Like the family that we're watching is um, uh, not conventional. They're poor or working class. Um, you know, like they're they're all kind of struggling a little bit. And it's I don't know. It's really it's really lovely. Um, I highly recommend it. 
I, I was watching it. I was like, is this a Carol movie? Do I like Carol movies now? <laughs> uh-huh. I have um, not. I don't think it's a Carol movie, right. but I think you would really like it, Carolyn. Yeah, I have not seen Shoplifters, yeah. but I have seen other. I've, I've been. It's been on my list for ever since I first heard about it years ago. So, And I've seen other films by Corieta um, that I, I've really, really enjoyed. So I definitely yeah. want to check this one out. I've heard very good, like, I'm just now, like, all in, because uh, a friend of mine is just, like, three for three. His films are amazing that I've seen, mm-hmm. so I- I'd like to check out more. Um, It is currently, Shoplifters is on Hulu right now, so if you have that, that is a place that you can watch it, Um, cool. and let me know what you think. Uh, Cool thing, we have a guest freakout this week. I believe it's Alex Perea from Brazil. Alex is from Brazil, and... um. They said that they needed a break from um, what what he said specifically. My country is on fire and I needed some escapism. <laughs> so check this freak out out. Hey, Feminist Frequency. Here is Alex Pereira from, from Brazil. I have to send this because I'm freaking out about a webcomic recently uh, released in a two-volume graphic novel called Check, Please. It is truly great. It's done by Ngoti Ukazu. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing. It tells the story of Eric Biro, a young gay rocky player who has to face a whole new world when he enrolls in the hockey team in college. It's great. It has heart. It's wholesome. I can't avoid but keep thinking about the beautiful, beautiful story that's told in this webcomic. So check, please, is my freak out. Peace. Cases from Brazil. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. If y'all want to submit your own freak out and maybe get it on our show, you can do that at feministfrequency.com slash freak out. That's F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. Thank you so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. Attentive <laughs> listeners may recall that we were going to talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier this week, but then we realized that there's just one more episode until, or one more week, which is one more episode, until the finale. Mm. So now we're just going to talk about the whole fucking show next week. How about that? Uh, it's going to be delightful. I love it so much. He's just a huge, huge fan. Huge, huge fan. Of the show. fan. It's so yeah. good. I think, I think it's because she's left reading it, though. She sees nothing but really progressive <laughs> politics in it. And I'm like, Anita, I don't know if the show is really as progressive as you think it is. I mean, the villains, you know, they, the, they want like a world without borders, and but they kill people, you know, and she, but and he's like, no, it's brilliant. It's perfect. So Love we're going to get into it we should, next week. We should do a spoof episode where we just try and left read everything oh. and like pr- and try and try right. to pretend to love the crap we don't. I think uh-huh. that'd be super interesting. Nobody else wants to do this. It's fine. Okay. Also, I don't have um, any idea. It could be an April Fool. I, we missed April Fool's this year, but maybe next year we'll can we keep can. that one in the back pocket for next year. Or yeah, we could. Do, I mean, we could just tell people it's a spoof. I think oh, if sure. you would like us to do a spoof episode, oh, hit us boy. up. Right. <laughs> this candid camera ass way of programming. <laughs> well, it's not that much better than how we actually program. Anyways, nobody needs to know that. If you are a patron or want to be a patron, please go to our Patreon page, which is Patreon.com/slash/FemFreak, and you can help us determine our next People's Choice episode. The theme is Bad Mothers. All right, y'all. 
Our show is engineered by Rob Perra. Carrie Stimson provides technical support, artwork by Jamie Varon, and our intro music is by Phil Circus. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.